Hello, everyone, and welcome to 25 Years Later's new podcast called The Criterion Collectors. I'll be your host, Tim Rosenberger. I'm a writer with the site. What we're going to be doing on the podcast is we're going to be discussing various films and genres and directors and actors that have been highlighted by the uh, home video company, The Criterion Collection. We'll be talking about films The Criterion Collection has released on DVD and Blu-ray, as well as films that it has released on its stream service the criterion channel and for our first episode we're gonna kind of go and do something big and we're gonna be discussing the criterion collections new godzilla box set which it has released as its thousandth spine for those who don't know criterion for each of its releases it has a spine number the 1000th spine number is a collection of godzilla films from the original film in 1954 to the last film in its godzilla's first era called the terror of mecha Godzilla, and that film was released in 1975. It's a total of 15 films. We're going to be discussing some of those films today. We're not going to talk about all of them just because we don't have time, and if we discussed all of them, we would be here all day. To discuss those with me um, are two fellow 25 Years Later's writers, Gus Wood and Katie Bianvenu. Thank you guys for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, again, we're going to be discussing a few of these films today. And released concurrently with this podcast, there is a top 10 video uh, related to Godzilla and this box set that you can find on our YouTube channel. And you can find the link to that attached to this podcast. And there's also a comprehensive article that I wrote that you can also find on the 25 Years Later's website called 25YearsLaterSite.com. And then that article i go through all of the films in the box set and just briefly discuss each one but today we're going to be talking about some of the films specifically so why don't we get started to kind of start things off when did you guys first get introduced to these japanese godzilla films and you know like how old were you and what were the circumstances around that i forgot exactly how old i was but it was definitely single digits and it was through my uncle. My uncle had a lot of them on VHS and also Laserdisc. And every Sunday when we would go over at my grandmother's house, we would go straight to his room and he would introduce us to something new. So my brother and I were definitely coming out of there pretending that we were monsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you guys? How did you first get introduced to it? Like every red-blooded kid, I played with action figures, and I remember my friend Alex, as an elementary school kid, had Godzilla action figures, and I had no idea what Godzilla was, but he looked awesome, because he always does. And then, growing up in Atlanta, we had a small theater called The Plaza, and they showed Ibira Horror of the Deep versus Godzilla, and I saw that when I was like 11 or 12, and uh, seeing that movie in a theater with other people was, definitely will make you love Godzilla. What about the movies initially kind of grabbed you? I think it was like initially the monsters, really, because I was too young to like really pay attention to the plot. Like having done rewatches ever since, the plots become more dominant for me. But when I was younger, it was certainly just the creatures and the fact that like they were people in suits and not like CGI, like a lot of things were growing up in the 90s. For me personally, it was, um, I love watching things get destroyed and there's no better vehicle for that than Godzilla. It was also like one of the earliest foreign film 
uh, experiences I ever had. You know, it was the first movie with dubbing or subtitles that I was conscious of. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a big, green, lovable monster. You can't respond to that. When did you guys first actually get more into it and to the point where you were watching the kind of original Japanese versions of them? Probably a few years ago. I want to say maybe... Actually, yeah, really three or four years ago when they were announcing like the new Godzilla film coming out, I decided to do like a rewatch of the other ones. And you're, you're talking and about... And it was the first time. Yeah, the 2014 one. Yeah. And then like basically all I could have really find was the Jap- original Japanese dialect ones and ended up just plowing through those and actually being more entertained by hearing how they should actually be sound instead of the American dubbed. For me, my wife is actually a huge Godzilla fan, and uh, we were both really excited for the 2014 movie. We weren't married yet, so I figured to impress her, I might as well know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) So I went back and watched all the movies, (laughs) just so I could, you know, stay current and be impressive. Well, I probably have both of you beat because to prepare for all this, uh, this was actually my first time watching any of the original Godzilla films. Oh, yeah. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching these very fresh. Uh, I've been watching them over the past little while. So I am uh, freshly not a Godzilla virgin, I guess. (laughs) But I had seen the Roland Emmerich, that terrible movie that he did. Um, And the the one you were talking about earlier, the 2014, 15, whatever that was, Godzilla film. So for the original film, a mysterious force is uh, destroying Japanese ships and eating all the fish near an island called Odo. An elder island resident believes it to be an ancient menace that the islanders used to placate with human sacrifices and all that. To help investigate the matter, the Japanese government is having a famous paleontologist. He's going to investigate, and he discovers that uh, an ancient dinosaur for lack of a better word, has awakened because of recent hydrogen bomb tests in the ocean. The islanders have named the monster Godzilla. Godzilla, when he wakes up, goes on a rampage, and they try bullets, tanks, nothing's working. He just plows through power lines, buildings, and they hope to destroy him somehow, but the answer to that might lie with a love triangle between a a colleague of the paleontologist, uh, a ship captain, and a scientist who's working on a secret experiment. So, yeah, like I said earlier, this was my first introduction to the Japanese Godzilla films. I really loved the kind of slow, the slow build of the film. And there's this kind of ancient menace thing that they're kind of building up throughout the film. And it has a great mood that they have in it that I think is really kind of unique. Well, unique for films, but also unique for the series. I don't think they ever really have that again. I totally agree. Like, I feel like the pacing of this film really makes it stand, like, have be a standalone. The story just felt, like, natural, which I feel like 
after this one and the second one, they seem to lose that yeah. that element. Yeah, we'll get, and we'll get into that. Which, but. It's definitely like the most prominent and like colloquially known as the first of like the kaiju movies of like the first big monster. There are definitely ones before that, but like, you know, for brevity's sake, everyone calls it the first one. This um, is also a really good standalone story. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you take out the monster, the story itself is also still pretty strong. No, yeah, it is. Yeah. And it has probably the strongest, um, we can get into this maybe a little bit later in terms of a general conversation, but a big aspect of all the Godzilla films is that they usually focus, more screen time is given to the human characters and whatever they're doing, and their interrelationships or their conflicts with other people or whatever. More time is given to that than is spent on Godzilla or any of the other monsters. And I think the first film has probably the best of the human stories, at least the best of the kind of more, you know, it's dealing with people in a love triangle and stuff like that. Those kind of more mundane storylines that this one I think has the best story of that and has some of the best acting in it and it's definitely the most serious of out of all of them almost a dire tone to the whole thing it's just it's or no not dire but a, a bleak tone to the whole thing and um, you know I mean it is also in black and white which I think adds to that moodiness I mean whether it was you know the technological limitations of the time mm-hmm. or an aesthetic decision having it be in black and white almost made me kind of want to adjust my TV settings and watch the rest of them in black and white Mm -hmm. Mm. just to see if it holds up or has that, like has any of that tonality, but I really doubt it does just based on how different this one is. Yeah. I mean, with it being black and white also, like it makes everything feel so much more real because of the lighting and everything. It doesn't look like their models their toy models like they do in the later films so much mm-hmm. they look like they literally just built buildings and blew them apart for the effect and that also play with the lighting when he like takes down the power lines the first time we see that happens is pretty cool too the movie's almost i mean not quite but it's almost like horror movie-esque in certain respects and the black and white with the lighting with the darker lighting and the kind of then you know when you have almost a spotlight on Godzilla as a creature there was more of a menace to him which I don't think would have been quite there if in color you more mm-hmm. I think you dread him mm-hmm. more in black and white than you would in color at least with what they're doing Going off what you said about, like, with the horror thing, when I was re-watching this, when it got to the scene with the fish tank, I instantly was thrown back in time to being a little kid watching that scene for the first time, being scared out of my mind, because it was terrifying. Like, it's terrifying seeing those fish dissolve in front of your eyes. I still, like, remember certain aspects of this film that I totally thought I forgot about until Mm -hmm. you see it again, and it it sticks with you. The whole scene with him at the end under the water watching Godzilla as the bomb's going off, Mm -hmm. it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. It stays with you. And I think that's, like, what makes this film especially so timeless, but also, like, it does borderline horror. Yeah, there's a scene for people who haven't seen the film. Uh, well, there's one scene where, through means we won't get into, some fish, basically they turn from fish to skeletons. And then the final scene of the film, they're trying to do something, and uh, Godzilla is kind of stalking our main characters, and there's a lot of great shots of him in underwater in that sequence. And they really build, more than any other film, and it's kind of understandable why they would do this for this film uh, more than any of the other ones, but they really build Godzilla up, and he's probably the most unstoppable in this film than he is throughout the rest of the series where they do kind of downgrade 
portrayed how powerful he is. Godzilla is the you know an allegory for nuclear weapons, and you can sense that allegory when he's just you know plowing through everything, and there's like just nothing people can do. Thousands, if not more, people are dying. There's just nothing left after he tears through the city. More than that, though, I felt what really kind of works for the film is kind of the smaller moments that kind of supplement those bigger moments where like there's a moment a very very brief scene on a train where there's just some Japanese citizens talking about Godzilla and the destruction he the, the destruction he has caused up to that point and they make references to the bombs that were dropped in 1945 and it helps you put you in the mind of what these what what the people in the movie are going through but what the Japanese people watching it would have gone through because if you think about it this movie came out in 1954 and that so that would have been you know less than 10 years after the bombs were dropped and so this is a very very fresh thing for people and i'm sure the imagery of that you know i mean it hits hard now but it definitely would have hit hard yeah absolutely literally nine years later you know there are kids that grew up knowing that that happened you know Mm -hmm. and seeing it in a movie theater mentioned like that everybody knows what that means and you still know what it means but they know how that felt you also have them also mentioning how shortly after the war it is. Yeah. They have conversations about, oh, I remember back in the war with the bombs. And it's surreal to think, like, how short of a time period this came out right after. Oh, that theme. <laughs> that theme that will like echo in every single film to follow it's so weird how like the most simplest of themes just become the most iconic yeah the score for these films is actually uh really good it's one of the there's certain things maybe quality wise that fluctuate a little bit throughout the series but the scores for all the films really maintain a steady quality throughout i wasn't necessarily surprised by the score of the first film and how good that was that wasn't terribly surprising but it's how well they maintain that through the different scores that they do and the different songs that they do which can be very varied in tone from very serious to fun to very silly they're really important when it comes to establishing tone the first one does have that kind of dark more um almost like an operatic score whereas like the later films when we get into more of like goofy zilla they are a bit lighter in tone and they feel more like a 1930s adventure rather than like a dark allegory the thing i have with the score is that like you hear and you instantly know godzilla and one of the things i really love is especially with destroy all monsters is when they start mixing monster themes together and it's funny because I remember listening to it after not having heard it in a while, and the minute that the music started up, I knew exactly which film that it was set to, just because it's just a collaboration of all these different themes together. And besides the original film, the Destroy All Monsters is probably the best out of all the series when it comes to score music. So you think that they all had very identifiable themes, so you were able to kind of tell which one was which very easily. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because I still hum along with it. And then like a few minutes, I would be like, wait a minute, I'm doing this. So like even now, like in my head, it's playing. as I'm like describing it and and talking about it and they're just very subtle differences but those very subtle differences really make an impact when you can be anywhere and then suddenly just hear like certain notes and know oh I know where that is 
and it should be noted that what I said at the top that the scores are very varied is really true because you have the main theme for the first film is this very very dark serious doom and gloom score and then one of the later ones is something akin to like it's not easy to be a monster and this lyrical silly kitty theme so I mean they really varied the musical output from film to film Yeah, this is a thematic that's carried through also, but like the notion that Godzilla is ancient and mm-hmm. also a direct response to something very modern. Like he's this ancient force that's been awakened by H-bomb testing. That juxtaposition of like old and new and like modern repercussions and an ancient manifestation of that is like, it's a thematic that's set up here and I think carries through the entire Godzilla mythos. No, yeah, it is an interesting kind of juxtaposition, and it's kind of a testament to science fiction in films using allegories for very modern problems. Because at the end of the day, we still have to kind of relate to them in some way, and a monster film is probably a good way to kind of hook people into maybe a deeper message about the dangers of nuclear weapons and the destruction that they can ultimately cause for us. One of the things that's interesting is despite how tonally different the rest of the movies in the Criterion Collection are from this one, it is amazing how much of the groundwork for, like, the average Godzilla movie, how much of that skeleton is in this. You know, it's an environmental cause. Godzilla is he's kind of more of an elemental force than anything else. And uh, it's half about Godzilla dealing with the environment and half about the humans dealing with Godzilla. And that those kind of thematics even to like the wackiest ones much later in the series, that stuff is still there. Like the DNA is still there. This becomes more apparent in probably, maybe the second film, but probably the third film onward. There is a certain structure to the films that you can definitely see in that. They usually start with some sort of mystery aspect. Then you get maybe a kind of a brief look at whatever monsters are in it. And then the last half hour, 20 minutes or so is the monster fight so yeah and that is all here in this version so it does lay the groundwork even though they would made a lot of modifications tonally and character wise and all that stuff as they went along The first um, actual follow-up to uh, Godzilla was, I believe, the very next year in 1955, and it was called uh, Godzilla Raids Again. It was the first film to introduce another monster, and uh, the kind of story of that is, after the events of the first film, that Godzilla was pretty definitively killed, but a year later, another Godzilla creature who looks, acts and it's called the exact same thing, is kind of woken up. (laughs) And the military and two Japanese pilots set out to defeat him once again through means that they have to be different from the events of the first film because of what happens in the first film at the end of that one. But in the meantime, Godzilla also comes up against a a spiny four-legged kaiju called, and I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, Angiris? Angiris. Angiris. There we go. Angiris. Angiris. However you pronounce that. And they um, are both kind of just instinctively out to destroy stuff, and they come up against each other in a mano-a-mano battle. 
So what did you guys think about the first kaiju against kaiju fight in one of these films? First off, I totally thought he was like an armadillo on steroids. (laughs) 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 That's what he looks like. He looks like an armadillo on steroids. I'm kind of sad we only got one actual fight between the two of them. And then he gets taken out so quickly. Yeah. But then appears later on in something else. Yeah. But like he... It's really, really quick because it's the first they are figuring out, well, should we how quickly should we make this battle? Our audience is really going to want to see this. You can tell in the pacing of everything that's very experimental in like, will it or won't it work? Yeah, I felt the same way. It was it was they might have a brief tussle earlier in the film. I can't remember, but they only have one real fight scene in the whole film. And it's interesting because unlike the later films, it's not really the main focus of the film like all the other films godzilla fighting whatever monster it is it's a pretty big deal and they usually save the big fight for the climax or for part of the climax this one it's just kind of like he runs into the creature while he's destroying stuff he fights him real quick in the middle yeah yeah it falls really in the middle it was in the middle because the whole film still revolved around we need to get rid of godzilla yeah yeah it's almost it's really more of an obstacle for godzilla was just like a side it's a side quest yeah it is like so much of just a clear sequel. Like, what's worse than one Godzilla? Two Godzillas? <laughs> it's, it's, it, and the fact that it, it follows that similar formula of like, it's humans v monsters. And like, they haven't really figured out the monster v monster part of the formula quite yet. So it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, he's a complication for Godzilla and Eurus is. But then again, not really. And I, I just think it's so interesting to see that, like, that's what they're trying to do is one more monster and see if they can make the same movie and have it be as successful or as memorable or more so. And I think it's it's sad that they were still kind of figuring stuff out at this point because I do like the creature design. I think he's really cool looking. And I think their battle that they have is a fun one. It's just that they don't really quite know how to handle it by that point. So I think that monster and that monster design deserve kind of... It deserves yeah. to be more featured better than it was but since they don't really know what they're doing yet they kind of it's almost half of an idea they just kind of threw it in there it almost feels like I will say, you know, by, even by this film, though, it's starting to develop into what it will become because already, while this one still isn't overly silly or anything, but it is a lighter film. There's a bit of comedic relief in it, some a little bit of silly stuff in it. Yeah, so, it really felt like the humans are like caricatures or starting to become caricatures. Exactly, yeah. It does have a returning character in it. Most of these films don't, or they have returning actors, which can be kind of confusing because they almost always play different people. But the paleontologist character does come back though he's there for one scene i was gonna say he's like one scene and he hardly has any lines in it no it's really he's really just there for exposition which i found really disappointing because i knew he was going to be in it because i saw him on the poster for the film when i was looking the film up Mm. and i was like oh he'll be back and stuff that'll be fun and i like that actor and then he was in in an early scene basically describing godzilla showing some archive footage that makes no which is basically it makes no sense why they have this footage in the reality of the movie they have this well shot well edited piece of godzilla destroying their city somehow um but <laughs> those uh, he, news stations man they get a lot of stuff yeah yeah they, <laughs> yeah they really get a lot of angles when this giant behemoth is firing up in there. atomic breath at them uh but yeah he's there for that one scene and then he 
disappears, sadly never to be seen again, I think, in any Godzilla. The actor shows up at least once more, but a lot of these films don't have a lot of... They have continuity, but they don't at the same time. Yeah. It's a very loose continuity where they mostly work with each other, but it can sometimes not really mesh with what came beforehand. Not This film isn't as much of a problem because it's more of a direct continuation, but the later films have that more of that problem. It becomes more about thematic continuity than, like, narrative continuity. Like, yeah. as long mm-hmm. as all the movies feel the same, they don't have to have the same actors or the same story. I mentioned earlier there are the human stories tend to take more of a focus than the monster stories really in a way. I mean, in some cases the monsters almost seem not that it doesn't work or anything, but or that they're shoehorned in, but it sometimes feels like the monsters are superfluous or however you pronounce that word to what the humans are doing. Like you can almost have like a, a island expedition film or a romance <laughs> film and then there's a happy Like they wrote the there. human part first and then decide let's add in monsters. Almost kind of in a way. I mean it works. I don't, you know. It like works they just, for some of them. Yeah, some of them more than others. Yeah. They're almost treated like natural disasters. Like they could be earthquakes or hurricanes or whatever. They're just an elemental inconvenience to the plot. How do you guys feel about the, you know, again, the human stories can be, again, just about relationships between characters. There can be this governmental struggle. There can be gangsters. There can be corrupt business people and all that stuff. So there can be various levels to these human stories. But overall, do you guys like the human stories in these movies? Or are they, or are they just kind of a distraction from what you want to see, which might be the big monsters and stuff? Depends on the film. For some of them, I found that I actually enjoy the human story as much as I like the monsters. And then there was others where I'm like, okay, you guys need to go away now. Where are the monsters? Can someone step on you, please? Godzilla, where are you? So it really depends on the film. I think they're necessary for, like, any Godzilla movie in terms of, like, scale. Like, they have to have problems that could never matter to Godzilla. Both in, like size and emotional nuance and i think that's like really vital it's almost like the the white walkers in game of thrones like everybody else is quibbling over who gets the throne and then there's this force that's coming to kill everyone and i think having that contrast is like really important to a godzilla story so that we understand that like godzilla's on another level than us and like it's not necessarily he's superior he's just the things that are incomprehensible to us are to him understandable and vice versa and i think that's really important well also from a marketing standpoint too because you know you have an audience that you want to bring in and you want to make sure this film can be marketed to different people so you know you will have like a story involving humans that might draw in you know teenagers or someone looking for something in particular that they might find whereas other people might come in and expecting ah i want monsters and smashing the wide range of what draws people in is definitely witnessed when they do certain stories with these characters 
And you, you do need them because Godzilla, not that he doesn't have character in this, but especially in the first film, the early films, he is really just this kind of unstoppable force terrorizing stuff. And they do a better job later of giving him more of a personality that you could actually follow if it was just him on his own. But especially he the early... He is so snarky in the later films. He is, he is. <laughs> but in the early films, yeah, he's just kind of this beast terrorizing Japan. So you do kind of... And, he, you know, he doesn't talk, you know, and he's not terribly intelligent so you know you need something to balance that out otherwise it would just be kind of it'd almost be a bit insufferable because i mean i love the godzilla shriek thing but hearing that for constantly oh my god annoying <laughs> there was a few times in certain films when it would just be and from something else back and forth back and forth and i'm like Okay, can we stop, please? Yeah. Can, 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 shush. <laughs> Someone knock him out. Yeah. All, yeah. The mon- when the monsters talk, it can be a bit painful because they're all doing the kind of ear-piercing sounds back and forth, back and forth. Luckily, there's not tons of that. I think they're they wise. <laughs> In the earlier can... films, there wasn't as much, but as you get later down the mm-hmm. road and they add more monsters, <laughs> it becomes more and more. Mm-hmm. I think also, just now that we're talking about the human stories, it also allows the films to be more versatile. Like, Mm -hmm. a Godzilla fight movie is going to be that regardless, but you can layer it with, like you said, gangs or secret military operations or corporate espionage. Those things can kind of layer on top of it and make it a different kind of movie. So it can almost be like uh, a Western or something where it's all the same setting and aesthetic tropes but with a different movie on top of it. That also helps the story and, like, the Godzilla franchise stay kind of young and relevant. Even now, we're talking about climate change on a different level with the King of Monsters that just came out versus back then we're talking about nuclear power, and that's because of the human story. Godzilla's always going to be a big monster kicking yeah, I kinda like... out of either a city or another big monster. Yeah, I like that it can play with genre based off of using what story they decide they want to tell with the humans. Because you can literally go anywhere with the humans as far as, like, deciding what type of story you want to tell. And then, you know, bringing in the monsters is its own thing. So, yeah, you can really do fantasy or sci-fi or drama or time travel or anything and then just layer on the monsters afterwards but yeah, you can really tackle any genre. That's what kind of like is appealing now. I didn't appreciate it as much as a kid, but rewatching the films now, really, I appreciate the human stories a lot more. When I was watching them, in a way, I mean, I like, you know, big monsters fighting each other, but I think those fights were almost, not that they're bad most of the time, but they were almost the, to me, the most the least interesting thing about them. It was really what was going on with the people that I think grabbed my attention more. And if those were bad, I was more likely to dislike the film than if the monster fights were bad or underwhelming. And you're right, they can do so <laughs> many different genres, you know, spy stuff, gangster stuff, love stories. And I think now, at least the monster films I'm thinking of, they are more kind of just focused on, not that they don't have subplots in them, but, you know, they're more focused directly on the monster thing and they there's a more of a generic monster movie feel to them and they aren't maybe playing with genres as much as these films were and making them all i mean they have they have a distinctive feel 
to them and they're all distinctively Godzilla films of that era but they are varied which is sad because if films today took the chance to do what these films did they could do a really good job with it given like a lot of how people think and write nowadays like I can really see them doing a monster movie and then having it be another subgenre besides monster and having it work but I feel like a lot of people are stuck in their ways and usually they make it all about like how the monster was created which usually ends up being some nuclear explosion so it becomes a nuclear film and again I don't want to make it out like you know monster films now are always the same I think you know they can play a little bit I know Guillermo del Toro when he was making the first Pacific Rim movie he said that it was really more I mean it had kaiju influences and Godzilla influences and stuff obviously but he said it was more kind of a structured like a sports film so some people Mm. do play with that a little bit have you seen um what is it called deep sea deep uh it came out in the 90s it had Fonka Jensen and then it was the which one deep rising yes oh deep rising Deep Rising was like the mysterious creatures from underneath the sea who attack the kind of like Poseidon adventure meets monsters. It was very playful and it was comedic and yet it still had seriousness to it. The monsters were like there, but it was more like, you know, surviving this boat that is sinking sort of like thing. So it's one of the rare films that actually play and not a lot of people know it, which is sad. It plays with genres as well. I would also be remiss if I didn't introduce now my insane theory that Godzilla and James Bond are the same people. (laughs) Uh, They have the same same cinematic journey. They start out as straight representations of their genre, and then their audiences ballooned into massive size, and then they tried to get more international appeal, and so they became explorations of different kinds of genres. So, like, all the James Bondiness of a James Bond movie is secondary to the kind of movie that the filmmaker wanted to make. Whether it's, like, a procedural detective story, whether it's a love story, whether it's a black exploitation film or a kung fu movie. James Bond can play with that, as well as Godzilla can in any of the Godzilla movies. The human story and the genre tropes around James Bond do the same thing in that they present a similar story in a different way. Yeah, it's Sean Connery. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, they, they start out with Sean Connery and they end up, at least the films that we're talking about, they end being kind of Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and now with the, with the 2014 Godzilla and King of Monsters, it's they're just like the Daniel Craig Bonds where they're trying to be serious again, exactly. <laughs> now I'm going to watch Godzilla like, films going, would you like your fish shaken or not stirred? <laughs> Uh, your city, which is like your city <laughs> shaking or stirred. Oh. oh my! Oh god! Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, and that's what we need. We need a Godzilla versus 007 movie, <laughs> where he, you know, I, I've been saying this for years. They need to fight. Well, but no, what they need to fight, then they need to, you know, get kind of close in the sequel, and that's, you know, then they sleep together, and that's how you have Son of Godzilla. <laughs> That's so true. They definitely need to become like a friends to lovers situation or enemies oh, to lovers God. situation. Yeah, I mean, it's we can. So important. Yeah, we can do that. And I, mean, I think you guys just broke me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what? We can have a pregnant Daniel Craig in the movie. <laughs> first view. With, it, with, the, with a Godzilla baby. The next film that they released, uh, there was a big break between Godzilla Raids again and the third film in the series. The second film came out in 1955, and then the third film didn't come out until 1963, so there was an eight-year time gap. By the time we get to this one, the films from here on out are all in color, they're in widescreen, and the third film is very indicative of what you'll see from there on out, at least in the era we're talking about, 54 to 75. It was King Kong versus Godzilla, where basically a pharmaceutical company they go to an island where king kong is they bring him back to mainland japan and they're hoping i think to because they have a godzilla and they have a monster that will help promote their business improve their profits or something like that and uh, in the meantime godzilla wakes from his slumber once again and they try to pit king kong versus godzilla in order to kind of stop godzilla from destroying japan once again so this film i think when i read it was the first and only time while there are certainly comedic elements in later films this is the i think the only time they were more trying to make sort of a comedy with this film and you can definitely see that because this film is definitely much lighter than the other two films and there's more comedic characters in it there's more camera mugging not necessarily bad camera mugging but there's some there is it is there there's some physical comedy even i think between godzilla there's some and king kong there's a little bit of comedic elements to it to a certain degree when they're fighting and it's interesting because they're still playing godzilla at this point is still very much the bad guy and it's the first time they have they're trying to purposefully use another monster to stop godzilla and it's more confidence in what they're doing again they fight i think one somewhere in the middle of the film very briefly and then they fight for the second and last time uh, near the end of the film and that's more of a bigger showy featured fight than what we saw in the second film so they're getting more of their you know finding their legs with it um, but what did you guys think of it and the changes that they made from the first two films to this film in terms of you know how they're doing it in tone and all that stuff I was really curious as to how this movie like came to be because it's East meets West and that like King Kong is a, a Western kaiju essentially and uh, Godzilla is obviously Japanese so it's like how did this come about and apparently initially the guy who animated King Kong in the first one wanted him to fight a giant Frankenstein and then decided Godzilla instead uh, because they got uh, Japanese money behind the project and they took out Frankenstein to replace him with Godzilla and that makes a ton of sense because that explains why there's so much lightheartedness to it. Frankenstein was meeting Abbott and Costello and you know, had a tradition of that kind of thing and, and now it makes sense that he's doing the same thing here. He's just replaced with Godzilla. It was so funny because I always thought King Kong, America, Godzilla, Japan, and it was just their take on the whole US versus Japan thing. And for some reason, this is like one of my least favorites. Yeah. <laughs> and I 
and I can't say exactly why, but also rewatching it now, they were very brave when they did the island scene, and they have basically, it looks like everyone's in blackface. It's, well, it's kind of an Asian blackface. I don't know if it's even necessarily yeah. blackface or is this supposed to be dark skinned those are Asian? Not, those are not natural dark skin. Yeah. I had to pause it to look. I remember rewatching it going, are they? Oh my goodness, they are. And it was like a culture shock a little bit there. But it also goes to show like a difference in cultures generally because I know that that's not a big thing anywhere else except for here in the United States Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. But yeah, it was so weird watching this. King Kong is such a, it's like our version of Godzilla Mm -hmm. in a way. So it's very like, you know, feels like it's pitting country against country, which I don't know how I feel about that. But given it was the 60s coming off of everything else going on with the Cold War, I guess it makes sense. How do we feel about the lighter, more kind of comedic tone to the film? I mean, I think based on how the rest of the series' trajectory compares with this, it's like they had a good idea but didn't go far enough. It manages to not do either one well. Like, it doesn't tell a a compelling Godzilla story, and it it isn't as funny or lighthearted or, like, adventurous as the later films of the series. So it's like they had a good idea but didn't themselves that it was a good idea and so we kind of get like a, a weaker film as a result of that hesitation kind of like with what they did in the second film with the monster bottle where they didn't know whether or not it was going to work so they played it safe this one yeah exactly that with the human story exactly it's a huge opportunity for like camp and cheese to do godzilla versus king kong and i feel like they went for it but didn't trust themselves to go far enough with it they do a better job of featuring the monster fight at the end of the film because it is at the end of the film and they build it up i mean the film's called king kong versus godzilla so it's a bigger deal in this film than it was the second film but even with that um i don't feel like it's a bit underwhelming i think the fight is part well for a couple reasons one for me anyway one they do downgrade godzilla in this film they say in this film for some reason that i don't understand the king kong is electricity makes him powerful which makes no sense. And that makes zero sense. Yeah, I think Godzilla, even though one of the biggest scenes in the first film was him just basically plowing through some power lines, for some reason electricity hurts Godzilla now and makes him weaker, which is really ridiculous. <laughs> which makes zero sense seeing as he thrives on nuclear energy. Yeah, and he survives hydrogen bomb blasts, but for some reason electricity hurts him now. It's kind of silly. But yeah, I mean, I guess they have to do that to make it more of an even fight. But I've noticed that, like, in the first film, he would use his atomic breath, like, all the time and stuff would burst into flames. But anytime he's fighting, like, a creature, he uses it sparingly, even though he could just, like, light King Kong on fire and then walk away. He (laughs) he decides to hit him with rocks and stuff and kick him and punch him and stuff. So it's a bit ridiculous that they have to downgrade Godzilla so much in order for the fight to work, but... It's like Batman v Superman, where they have to give Superman kryptonite, so it's kind of fair. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too, yeah. He also gets sassy Godzilla in this. He's, like, taunting King Kong for the longest time before, like, anything actually happens. In the first few minutes of the fight, it's like, come at me, bro. (laughs) And I think, like, any Godzilla film, when you start just voicing Godzilla (laughs) and giving him, like, a voice just to go with the body language, it just makes it better. 
Yeah, and there's some even more ridiculous stuff that comes later. But yeah, yeah, there is yeah. the start of the Godzilla sass in this film, which I hope most of the time was intentional, but I wonder if sometimes it was accidental. There's one in particular, and I now forgot what film it is, where he raises his arms almost like the Lotus move like either karate or something but he like he stands there and he just raises both arms as if and but his wrists are down so it's like he's doing like a prey mantis move where he's about like to a, kick someone like daniel-san in the karate kick like yeah the, the crane kick yeah okay he's sure. doing that and i'm trying to remember who he's battling but like, i'm just watching it just going i should take this seriously but at the same time this is just really hilarious yeah it's one of the adva- disadvantages of having guys in suits is that they often don't move like a giant prehistoric dinosaur would. They kind of move like a person in a suit would move with like karate moves and stuff. I mean, we don't know that. Well, I feel like I don't ago, feel like it could have moved like that. Oh, I don't feel I don't think a T-Rex <laughs> probably did a crane kick. <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> we don't know for sure, but I think if they did that in Jurassic Park, I think people might have laughed a little bit. <laughs> Do you guys find the fight satisfying? And like, how does it compare to like other fights later in the series? I don't think they nailed the fight formula yet. I think even Godzilla vs. Angiris in, uh, in the second movie... Was better than this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, as anticlimactic as it was, it was. I think it was still more exciting than. It's almost like they shouldn't have spent the entire movie hyping up the fight if this is what it was going to be. You know, I think the use of like of stop motion versus the more kinetic stuff that you've seen with like box puppets or guys in suits, like at least they move naturally and it doesn't feel stilted in that Ray Harryhausen kind of way. It just feels more organic when they. Stop pretending that it's anything less than guys in suits. What do you guys think makes a good monster fight in these films? Is there a certain thing that makes them work? Like the build-up or just the situation that's been built up around them? Or is there a certain something that a key to making these fights work? I kind of like when they build up on their strengths and there's a lot more physicality to both of them in the second film where he's biting Godzilla's neck as they're like fighting and it's like they're using every aspect of the creature that you could possibly have to battle against one another whereas in the example of the King Kong Godzilla fight there's a lot of rolling around (laughs) you don't really there's a lot of rolling around and there's not a a lot of clear claws or you know biting or anything it's just you know throwing things at one another and then rolling around on the ground and then they both are exhausted (laughs) you know i kind of like when they play with what they have if they have spikes then they use the spikes if they have like sharp teeth then they're biting if they blow fire they are blowing fire you like when they play up the animal aspects of them yeah the animal the animal aspects of the creatures yeah because this film introduces uh, godzilla's habit of he likes to throw rocks a lot for some reason so he'll always find a rock when he goes up against somebody and just throws it at them instead of you know using his claws or his tail or again he can just set them on fire he just throws a big rock at them and i think it almost never works but he keeps doing it anyway i'm like dude you have teeth bite yeah (laughs) you have some sharp teeth use those things man (laughs) 
I think a signature move is key, similar to like using what they have. I think they have to like be unique enough. Like I feel like King Kong's fighting style, for whatever it's worth, is not evident in his fight with Godzilla. King Kong's fighting style is smash. Whereas like, you know, King Kong is an allegory for a boxer. He should be boxing. You yeah. should be able to appreciate, like, oh, they have different skill sets. They're not the same monster fighting each other the same way. What might have helped with this fight scene, it might have been if they had put them both in a jungle or in a city or something, you could have had King Kong, I don't know, going on trees and jumping from stuff and all that stuff, and Godzilla plowing down whatever it is, you know. Instead, you just kind of have, yeah, these two people fighting in this big open area, and they're just kind of punching each other. Like you guys are saying, it's not really, they're not really taking advantage of their skills, so to speak. The actors playing Godzilla and King Kong in the suits might as well just be out of their suits, like fighting yeah. each other for all the Godzilla mm-hmm. and King Kong elements they have in them. It's very repeating, but why does a pharmaceutical company want King Kong? Uh, For a spokesperson. Because it's publicity. <laughs> oh, well, sure, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think, uh, you know. <laughs> They're trying to go viral. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> what sells better than a giant ape? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Zantac is going to use uh, Mothra for the <laughs> next uh thing you know mothra will have heartburn or something and then he'll take it and he'll be like oh hey i'm all better thanks to zantac and he'll smile at the screen you know that sort of thing <laughs> as in two girls allergy yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah i think giant moth butterfly things yeah they'll have allergies they need allergy medicine <laughs> My mistake. I, I, it was a silly question yes yeah, so i'm I think... totally allergic to this pollen that i spray yeah, he's allergic to himself. I mean, I think. I mean, didn't, didn't you study kaiju in in school, Gus? The next film in the series came out the next year, 1964, I think. And again, it was another verse film. It was Mothra versus Godzilla. And Mothra had already been in his own film recently-ish to this. I forget the exact year, but it was probably I think like a year or two uh, before this film came out. And uh, now he's one of the two monsters in this film. And uh, yeah. Sorry, you don't see me, but I'm flailing. Yes, Mothra. And we'll get Sorry, to why Mothra. she's... Okay. okay. Okay, well, calm down. Let me tell people what it's about, then you can squeeze some more. Um, Sorry, guys. It's okay. A greedy uh, Japanese land developer and his son take ownership of a giant egg that washes ashore, and they're going to build... They want to build, like, a theme park around the egg and stuff, even though they don't know what's going to hatch out of the egg. But, and this is where the series gets kind of weird, two fairies, which are basically hand-sized 
Japanese twin women that were played by two Japanese senior sisters called the Peanuts. They travel to Japan from a secluded island called Infant Island to get the egg back because there's a giant creature on the island called Mothra, which is basically a cross between, I guess, basically a moth and a butterfly. And the fully grown Mothra that's on the island right now is dying and the egg will hatch a new Mothra, which will then continue the other Mothra's legacy of protecting the island. And Mothra, unlike Godzilla, is more of a peacekeeping creature as opposed to a destructive one. Uh, Eventually, uh, a battle ensues when the two fairies agree to let Mothra fight Godzilla, who is again awakened and is destroying Japan. So back to Katie. So why are you screaming over this film? <laughs> so Mothra versus, well, actually just the Mothra film. I think I was introduced to Mothra before I was introduced to Mothra versus Godzilla. So I absolutely loved like my brother was all I loved Godzilla and I'm like but I love Mothra for the longest time and I think it was because like we finally (laughs) I'm gonna sound so lame here because we finally got female representation in the monster (laughs) universe Because I was like, yes, finally a female. Because all the monsters are male up until this point. Um, They strictly say that Mothra is female. And I was so happy. Like, I had, like, my brother had the, you said how you had the Godzilla action figure. Well, my brother had the Godzilla Mm -hmm. action figure. And then I constantly had the Mothra action figure. But I was, like... (laughs) battle against him with my Mothra. So it was always Team Mothra versus Team Godzilla in our house (laughs) for the longest time. (laughs) And and you said, so was the Mothra versus Godzilla, was that the first Godzilla film you had seen? It was the very first Godzilla film I had seen and it was on Laserdisc and it was my uncle who introduced it to us. Yeah, Laserdisc. Uh, (laughs) This shows how old... (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah kids. Yeah, kids. If you don't know what a laser disc is, uh, <laughs> just Google it. It's basically a giant DVD. It's like a, yeah, it's a giant DVD. It's a mix between a DVD and a record. Yeah, a DVD. Um, it's a, yeah. <laughs> but my uncle had had the player, and he had, this was one of the ones that he owned on it. He had like a few others, but this is one of the ones that he owned. And it, I remember like the first time seeing this, being completely mesmerized by this giant moth which I thought was, like, the coolest thing ever, beating up this gigantic lizard. I really now wish I remembered how old I was. It had to be around, like, seven or eight. Yeah, this was definitely the first one. It was definitely single digits. When you watched this as a kid, besides Mothra, did you remember anything else about this particular film that kind of grabbed you? The two girls and that song that oh, they that, sung. Oh, th- that, yeah, that Mothra... Yeah. I can't Mothra, sing, sorry. Mothra, Yeah, they always have, a, a, a spoiler alert, Mothra shows up f- throughout this series, but anytime those characters It's always sing, the two girls are different. Well, no, the girls are the same for two, maybe three of the films, and then the last time we see them that I know of, they change it to different actresses. But they always change the song, like their Mothra song is always different, I don't know why they just keep that the same, but... Uh, but and then, re-watching it recently, I discovered my favorite character in the entire series, which is that random guy who works for the newspaper who shows up <laughs> in every scene huh. with an egg of some sort and he's either frying an egg or he's eating a hard-boiled egg and he's just making jokes about eggs 
<laughs> the entire time he shows up and like I enjoy him every time he pops up and it's like so what kind of egg do you have today like even when Godzilla is destroying the amusement park and the guy is there because you know he was told to go watch the egg he is eating a hard-boiled egg <laughs> Uh, you should probably talk about, too, if we're going to talk about the egg, how stupid these land developers are that they're going to center a theme park around this giant egg that they have no idea what's actually inside of it. And for all they know, it could be this giant creature that's worse than Godzilla and that will kill them all. And they just put like a tarp, like a giant tent, clear tent over it. And I guess that'll do. It was a giant incubator. Yeah. Because they're like, we're going to build a theme park around it. And then once it hatches, then we'll decide what kind of theme park it will be. Maybe it's a bird. Yeah, they're they... dead set on it being a bird. Yeah, and they just assume that they can control the creature and, you know. If you're a dreamer, if you're an innovator, if you're someone who makes bold moves, we call those tomorrow problems. <laughs> <laughs> we have an opportunity with this egg. we got to strike while the iron top. That's all I'm saying. Okay. This was Katie. definitely a fun film. It really had the balance of seriousness and funness that the series was trying to do with King Kong, but failed miserably with. Yeah, they even have, uh, I was kind of surprised, they have uh, one scene near the end where two of the bad guy characters get kind of angry at each other, and one of them attacks the other one. And it's actually kind of serious, he's like beating him very brutally, there's a bit of blood there and stuff, and it's actually actually surprising to see in this film that features little pixie yeah, fairy creatures. Yeah, I think it's the first, I think it's the first one to actually show actual blood, because mm-hmm. the guy shoots him and you can see that there's a gun wound and stuff. I think it's really in this film that we really start to get, like I said in the intro, get kind of weird. Because, you know, you have these little fairy things, you know. These fairies, this island of radioactiveness that Mm -hmm. these people are living on. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's weird, though, because they make it... Well, it took me a little bit to warm to it. When the fairy guys first showed up, I was kind of bewildered. That I was like, wait, we're doing this? And in any other film, I think that would have been kind of the jumping the kaiju moment. But for some reason, they're able to make it work. And it just kind of makes sense within their universe eventually that you have stuff like this <laughs> that is totally just ridiculous and has no anchoring in reality. And I love that they don't make a... When they find them in the woods, like the contractor guys make a big deal of, ooh, we should catch these two twins. But the ones in the woods are just like, oh, hey, there's these two little tiny people who are asking for help. And hey, look, there's a giant moth right behind us. Yeah, they accepted very easily the hero characters. They're just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, to be fair, by this point, they've been attacked by... Had three separate monster attacks, so they might be a little bit more acclimatized to giant creatures, I guess. But do you like the weirdness of this, Gus, or do you find it too much? I am team weird 100% with Godzilla. I think the weirder and more esoteric they can make these films, the better. I think that they wanted to tell a fairy story, and Godzilla's popular. Mothra is a has her own mythos, which I didn't even know about prior to that. I didn't realize there was a Mothra movie before she fought Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the whole Mothra series. Yeah, I did not know that. It makes me excited because then maybe Godzilla will cross over with other giant monsters mm-hmm. uh, that I don't know. But I like the fact that they're taking risks and telling weirder stories. And like similar to how we were talking about King Kong that didn't take a big enough swing, this movie is full of big swings. 
Mm-hmm. And I think they hit a lot of them out of the park. They commit 100% to the fairy thing. I like that nobody calls it out as weird that Mothra exists because Godzilla exists. I think it's great. I'm 100% for it. I do feel, though, that Mothra... I mean, I like Mothra, and I like that we see kind of a peaceful creature for the first time in the series. I do feel, though, that I don't know if Mothra and Godzilla are really even... Again, are evenly matched. Because really, Mothra... Because he has two forms in the film. He has his fully grown form, which is uh, kind of like a butterfly moth type thing. He can, I think, flap his wings, make the wind go really high, and he also has this webbing stuff that he can shoot out. And the pollen... Okay, and the pollen. And then, There's like a yellow dust, and, yeah. and it's like the poisonous pollen. Then he has like a more of a larva, freshly hatched form that we see through most of the series, which is just him kind of crawling around and shooting webbing at Godzilla. And he really, I mean, <laughs> not to give too much away, but he basically defeats Godzilla. You know, this again, this big unstoppable thing with atomic breath that he doesn't use and then you know can trample through tanks and bullets and all this stuff and he gets stopped by this not little but smaller than him little worm thing that shoots webbing at him and ties him up and he just kind of falls into the water because there's two of them too don't forget the egg hatches and there's two larvae that come out oh that's right i forgot they had oh i forgot now. so it's like he's getting attacked by two at two directions i, I forgot with the about same that weapon yeah because they get yeah they have just one later on but i forgot that yeah they had two that hatch out of the egg i totally forgot about that well still though two two worm things that are attacking this giant fire breathing or atomic fire nuclear breath lizard tyrannosaurus thing <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous because all he's doing is throwing rocks yeah <laughs> Well, he'll spit the fire at him, but he'll do it from, like, a mile away, so it doesn't, it barely, like, grazes them. Instead of just walking up to them and, like, lighting their heads on fire. Or, you know, you can pick up a rock. You can pick up these larvae. And, yeah, yeah. just, and just Dude. break their backs or something. Do a bane on them or something. But, you know, I, I'm glad you did it, because then we would be without Martha. Uh, Martha? Martha? Is that, is that what it's Martha. called? Is it a Martha? Because <laughs> it's not a moth yet, or it's not a larva. Martha. Martha the Martha. Martha, Martha the Mothra. Mothra the Martha. Martha the Mothra. There we yeah. go. Say that five times fast. Yeah, that should be, it could be a tongue twister. So I'm critical of this fight, but at the same time, I know it's just being silly and I'm being overcritical of it. But, you know, to a certain extent, I like to think that there's some base in reality in terms of, you know, could this thing really defeat Godzilla? And I think it's a bit of a stretch sometimes with Mothra. But it sounds like you guys like it more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't really yeah, um, like Godzilla doesn't really win nor lose. He kind of just gets stung. Like Mothra doesn't like fully defeat him. It's more like she stuns him enough to push him back into the water where he can just go away again for a while. Go mm-hmm. lick your wounds and come back when you're ready. Yeah, well, I think that might have been intentional too because I think they were trying to. I would assume by this point they know they're trying to make a series that they're trying to less definitively kill him off or whatever. This you can just have him show up again. We were talking earlier about like what makes a good Godzilla fight in terms of using what you have. This is it. This is a great monster fight, regardless of how feasible it is that a giant insect. And I'm using air quotes that you can't see a giant insect could defeat a giant dinosaur but we've got webbing we've got poisonous pollen we've got flight every tool that mothra is equipped with is used similarly godzilla's throwing rocks he's using his atomic breath he's punching occasionally 
this is what the series is made of. Like, this is the perfected formula from Anguirus to King Kong to now. And now the series really starts to take off on this formula. And there's films later in the series that we're not going to be covering in the podcast, but where he fights like a giant spider or a giant, mm-hmm. uh, I think a praying mantis type thing. Giant robot at one point. Yeah, giant robot stuff. And I think the ones that, giant sea monster, crab thing, I think the ones that work particularly well for me are the ones that are when the creature he's fighting is markedly different from him. So when you have a, you know, a giant praying mantis is nothing like, Godzilla or giant butterfly or giant spider or giant crab thing. Those are all, you know, very different from him. So it's a bit more of an interesting fight. Giant, I think he fights a giant octopus at one point. I think that's him. So those are all very different things for him to fight. So it's more interesting and it opens the door up for more interesting moves and just uh, characterizations and powers and abilities and all that stuff um, than probably King Kong Godzilla thing. Which again, you know, in a way, you know, except for the fire breath and you know their anatomy being a bit different with arm lengths and all that stuff Godzilla and King Kong are probably a bit too similar to be terribly mm-hmm. interesting you might as well have it just be two Godzilla things or something because even the spiny tail thing from the second film again it's a different fight because it's a it's another dinosaur creature but it's you know I think it's four-legged primarily it uses its tail more has all mm-hmm. these spiky things and stuff so it's it's, it it's bites. different bites yes it bites it does bite it bites Okay, so the next film we're going to talk about is Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. It came out in 1964, came right after Mothra vs. Godzilla. And Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, it's the beginning of a kind of a new direction for the series. I believe this is the first movie where they introduce aliens. It's the first one where you have multiple monsters teaming up to destroy another monster. And it is the first time where Godzilla, though somewhat reluctantly, becomes a protagonist instead of the main antagonist of the series. And basically what's going on in this one is uh, there's a cop who is trying to find a princess of some made-up Asian country, and he stumbles upon her, but she thinks she's a woman from Venus, and she keeps going around uh, various places in Japan and foretelling of doom and destruction for everybody who lives there. And in the midst of that, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, comes about and starts wreaking havoc, and it's up to the humans to find a way to convince Godzilla and uh, Mothra, and I think there's one other monster in there, to join forces and destroy Ghidorah. So I do like that they find a way to make Godzilla a protagonist, because I think by this point in the series, I think they were starting to run out of ideas for Godzilla as an antagonist, and it was getting kind of repetitive in that regard. So I think this was a nice kind of uh, change in direction, and it kind of opened doors to focus on new antagonists, mainly from this here on out, it's mainly different alien species trying to invade the planet. I love King Ghidorah so much. I think this is where we start to see Godzilla become more of a... Well, all the monsters really become more characters and less, like, natural disasters. We get Mothra has, like, her own motivations. Godzilla has his. Rodan has his. 
and they all kind of have to have different personalities and that finally comes through and this is where we start to get like an identity for Godzilla outside of he's a big lizard. I really agree with I like the fact that this film really starts to make the monsters on equal footing to the human heroes. The balance starts to like form for like the future films where they are going to become as important as the humans. Do you guys like the in the inclusion of aliens into the series? No. <laughs> Why I not? will I will Why not? Um, <laughs> probably because so up until this point, the monsters on Earth are monsters because of human error and nuclear mishaps and now suddenly we're being thrown there's outer space i mean yes sooner or later that was gonna be that that's probably the only way you can go life on other planets but i don't know i don't think i was fully have been or really will ever be fully ready over the fact that there's a gigantic three-headed dragon from another planet along with this alien race from Venus of all places. I mean, now if they were to do it, it'd probably be from Mars. Makes more sense. But I just thought, okay, when you guys go and do this, it's time to stop. So would you have rather they had stopped the series with Mothra versus Godzilla or would you have preferred them going in a different direction that didn't involve aliens? Yeah, no, I would have liked them to have gone the different direction. Like, you could still do Ghidra and make him so that he's been trapped for a very long time, which means that even before everything happened with Godzilla and all the other monsters, there was something that happened years before, you know, centuries before. Or maybe he's like a monster of like the deep, deep past that has finally been unearthed in Awaken. Making him from space is kind of out there. Um, I buy Space Godzilla more than I buy Ghidra being from space. So you would have rather they kind of built on the mythology they already had with the kaiju instead of introducing alien kaiju. Yeah. I mean, these are all valid points on the one hand. On the other hand... On the other hand, we're wrong. I don't. I don't, I don't care. I want my Venus space dragon. <laughs> So cool. Hey, he's an awesome like space dragon. Does. I'm not gonna take that away from you. Yeah, I, th- I don't love think this character. Yeah, I don't think either of us are arguing against the awesomeness of the three-headed space dragon, but 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 by making him not from space, we lose that, and it's so important to me. <laughs> he's cool. I'm he's, sorry, I like Gus. Him. I like that he's from space. <laughs> I'll just take back all my comments. I'm so sorry. Yeah, actually, I think this. I think you both agree. I think both and Katie and I agree. I think this is the best one in the entire series. We love everything about it. The aliens are our favorite addition, and we're just gonna put posters of Ghidorah on our wall. Yeah, you know when I mentioned that Mothra was my favorite, I take it back. I take it back completely. If all I had to do to get everybody on my side to start crying about King Ghidorah, I would have been president by now. <laughs> I would try that. I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't try that with your significant other. That might not work right. I'd be like, take out the trash. But 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 Ghidorah, he's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, where else could the series go? It had to go to space. We can't just keep finding these long lost past shames in the soil. I feel like it had to break somewhere. And I'm glad it broke here. When James Bond, again, when James Bond ran out of ideas, what happened? Moonraker. We went to space. 
and here we are again in space. I, I don't know if Moonraker is the best example to give for uh, for well, uh, fine. a pause, positive, but no, I get no, I get I get what you mean. I get what you mean. It does it, it is kind of a I don't know when this trend started, but yeah, it is kind of a common thing when a series gets to a certain point they can't really do anymore, so they go to space. I think even Fast and Furious has talked about going to space. I don't think they're even joking. I think it started here. Yeah. I think it set. I think Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster set a precedent, and I think it should be commended for that. Because of this movie, yeah. we get Moonrake. Yeah. No, but seriously, I do think that Aliens probably were kind of a good way to do it. And it's not as ridiculous as, again, a Fast and Furious goes to space. So I think they talked about Ice Age going to space or something. It's not as ridiculous as that because oh, there's, there's already... It's not a huge leap if you already have you know Godzilla and Mothra and all this stuff so it's not it's a bit more acceptable and again it's a nice direction to go into and if they kept doing like if all 15 of these films had just been Godzilla attacking then people finding these other monsters that just happened to be able to fight him and defeat him it would have gotten really boring so I do think it was a nice thing to do to kind of change the pace of it all joking aside but yeah i could see katie's the complaints with it too i think it would be interesting to see if they had gone in the other direction with somehow having Ghidorah and all these other monsters but without maybe doing the alien thing i also think that it doesn't make evolutionary sense for a, a creature with three sentient heads there's no reason that would evolve on earth you know what i mean there's a reason like everything kind of evolves to have like one head but like that might not be true for venus And, like, because his design is literally alien, he can't, like, just be another big dinosaur. See, I think it would be cool if this was, like, a prequel to, like, all the others. With it ending with him, like, being, like, going to space, defeated and going to space or something like that. And then coming back in a later one as Ghidra the space monster that way everyone wins oh like making him some kind of primordial evil that godzilla defeats who then leaves and comes back yeah oh okay i see that i like that it's been about five minutes since the last time i said it so i'm gonna say it again uh, he's really cool <laughs> he breathes lightning he has three heads he's gold so he's obviously wealthy Ghidorah is the best monster and i would hear no argument yeah he's probably the coolest looking except for possibly godzilla and some of his designs but he's yeah, probably the best looking of all of them. I'll agree with Gus. As far as the monsters go, he is probably my favorite design. And they really make it, I think, for introducing Godzilla as a protagonist for the first time, I think they picked a really good monster to start that out with because they do make him very formidable. Not just the three heads thing, but he is, you know, very tough and hard to beat. So there's a lot of good things to recommend about this film. That said, the human story is very laughable. Yeah. They put too much thought into the monster that they just, this time around, they just were like, ah, whatever. We'll do whatever we want with the story. I thought it was forgettable, which I think this is like one of the first times that's happened. And as much as like, we've talked this entire time and barely referenced the human story because the monster story itself, even on a character level, is interesting, not just in terms of spectacle. Like, we have the monsters making choices and, like, having an arc, and that's not really happened. So, yeah, I kind of forget about the human story, especially because, you know, that means there's less screen time for Ghidorah, and I'm not into that. Yeah, they don't do yeah, a great job with the balance for this one, and it is one that can, gets kind of... The human story just kind of try on my patience a little bit, but it's certainly not the worst of the series in terms of the human stories.
Okay, so we're going to skip a few uh, movies now. Like I mentioned up top, we don't have time to talk about every film. Between this one, there was another Invasion story, which was pretty good. That was Invasion of Astro Man. There were two films that were made for specific, specifically for television that were smaller scale, that were kind of island adventures with kaiju. One was Ebera, Horror of the Deep. I probably mispronounced that. And then uh, Son of Godzilla. Again, those are both kind of lighter adventures that I personally like quite a bit. But the next one we're going to talk about specifically is Destroy All Monsters, and that one came out in 1968, and uh, it takes place in the far-off future of 1999, where Earth has achieved world peace, and humans are keeping all the kaiju, all the friendly ones anyway, on a place called Monster Island, where they appear to be living in peace, and uh, Earth has an advanced space program and all that stuff, but an alien force begins controlling the kaiju and a number of human scientists and kaiju start attacking world capitals and the human characters have to find a way to regain control of a certain earth science station and free the kaiju from the alien control before the aliens take over or destroy the planet. So um, this one is actually, I think in terms of the alien invasion Godzilla films, this one is probably one of my favorites along with the invasion of Astro Man. I think both of those films really build a lot of tension and this one is even has more tension than Invasion of the Astro Man because in Astro Man they also control at least some of the kaiju. I don't know if it's as many of them, but this one they're also controlling some of the people, and they really just make the stakes seem just insurmountable. You really want to know how the humans are going to find a way to win this time. So I think this one is probably the best of the high stakes films. As far as like Godzilla films go, like when you mention Godzilla films, this is usually the go-to oh my god i remember this growing up and it's definitely like where i fall growing up this was the film that we watched over and over and over and over again and you know i still find it as enjoyable now as i had then i thought the battles were really fun to watch uh seeing everyone team up was always amazing and you know like i said before the is one of the most memorable things about the film besides the actual fighting of all the monsters. Yeah, and uh, I, sh- I should have mentioned that I think there's uh, 11 monsters, uh, kaiju in the film, which I think is the most you see in any of the films. It's certainly the most, certainly the film where you see the most monsters be the most active. There's some other films where you kind of see kaiju, but then mostly it's just Godzilla. But this one, there's, you know, I think all the kaiju you see are pretty active throughout the whole thing. And it is kind of fun to see all of these come together. Some of them we have seen, I think, in some of the other films. Some of them we haven't. It's rather this one, or Invasion of Astro Man, it reintroduces the monster from the new monster from the second film which is somehow alive again they didn't really explain that but it was nice to kind of see all these monsters come back as a climax it is certainly big and nostalgic and celebratory with it, and also being new and just really solid production this movie feels the most like a WWE kind of plot line where they just found an excuse to get as many fighters into the ring as possible like of course the good guys have to turn evil and the evil guys are fighting them it just becomes a free-for-all and i i love it so much it's pure spectacle it's the perfect godzilla movie and as much as like if i have to pick one godzilla movie to take with me to a desert island i'm picking the one with the most monster fights in it yeah i think they could do a good job though with their excuse for getting all these monsters together it doesn't seem forced at all no i I think it's the best way they could have done it 
I think anything else would have felt a lot more contrived than aliens are taking over all of it and making them fight. Like I said, I said beginning of this one that I thought it was the best of the alien invasion type Godzilla films. Do you guys find one that's better than this? Or do you think this kind of, out of at least those Godzilla films in this series, is this one kind of on the top of them all for you? I have a soft spot for Mechagodzilla. I like the, the alien race in that one with the purple blood. But this one, I mean, this one is great. The aliens are creepy and they understand what their secret weapon is. Oh, when all else fails, we do have King Ghidorah. That's really why you like it. You just like that they bring Ghidorah back. I like that they recognize him as the greatest of them, yeah. (laughs) I like terror of Mega Godzilla more. But when we get there, I'll I'll explain why. But story-wise, I feel like that story was better. This one made the aliens more tolerable. That said, the aliens were a lot more tolerable in this, more so than in the Ghidra film. This one also feels like, um, in tone, almost closer to like a TV show. Like it, it feels pretty episodic in terms of like it's different monsters, different cities. You could see this maybe 10 years in the future when it was made as a TV show as like a a weekly serial or a weekly procedural of like this week he's attacking this city Godzilla go fight him it almost feels like Power Rangers-esque yeah but I think that's well that's probably partially I think due to you know how much influence Power Rangers got from Godzilla in the first place I do like how it flirts with the line also of like it's almost too much like if there were 12 monsters I feel like we'd have like monster overload and it'd be it'd be too much to follow or too difficult but 11 for some reason is that sweet spot ah it wasn't enough they needed at least one more in there <laughs> yeah, maybe they, they should have brought the no, sec- I, second Mothra back or something. Or just bring a whole baby yeah. Mothras in. This whole team. I agree. Let's have more Mothra. Mothra, actual moth form, should be in, like, everything. Oh, also, shout out to Kumunga, the spider monster. The oh, spider yeah. kaiju. Yeah. Or not. Or not, because I'm arachophobic, and... I can't watch any of the scenes that he keeps popping up on, and every time he does, I freak out. What a difference a pair of legs make. You love Mothra, but hate Kumonga. It's spiders, man. It's spiders. I can do moths. I can do bugs. I can do insects. I can do moths. I can do, like, wormy, but... I give it eight eyes and eight legs and forget about it. The thing creeps me out. Okay, so we're going to skip a few films again between Destroy All Monsters and Godzilla vs. Megagodzilla. There was All Monsters Attack, which was a very small-scale story about a little boy. Then there was Godzilla vs. Hedora, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon. And then eventually we get to Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which is the second-to-last film in this era of Toho Godzilla films. It was made in 1974, or 
came out in 1974 at least. And it's about a mystical prophecy is foretelling of a monster destroying a Japanese city and probably Japan as well. And as the prophecy is resurfacing, a robot that looks like Godzilla and actually might be stronger than Godzilla starts wreaking havoc and make Godzilla who was built and is being controlled by aliens, of course. The only thing that can stop him is Godzilla and this other ancient slumbering beast that needs to be awakened called King Caesar. So it's up to the humans to find a way to fulfill the prophecy of two monsters coming together to destroy another one by waking up King Caesar. So this film is kind of a mixed bag for me. For one, it's kind of, you know, again, it's the second to last film and it's very obvious. I think that they're kind of running out of steam by this point in the series. They do bring in some mystical stuff, which is kind of interesting with the King Caesar thing. And, you know, Mechagodzilla is is a very kind of it's a cool kind of creature it's nice that they kind of go with something mechanical um, instead of another kind of natural force whether it be alien or from earth and they really make mech godzilla this terrible force and you believe that godzilla would need help with this because he is so just almost unstoppable but at the same time there's some stuff that's unsatisfying they have this prophecy about two creatures coming together to destroy what turns out to be Mechagodzilla. By the end of it, they don't really team up. They just kind of, Keen Seizure wakes up, fights Mechagodzilla for a bit, starts losing, and then Godzilla comes in, struggles for a bit on his own, and then eventually on his own, destroys Mechagodzilla. So it's kind of a letdown. You don't actually see them team up. They just kind of tag team. This one, for me, um, there was an independent video store, video rental place near my house when I was a kid, and this was the only Godzilla movie they had, and I wore that tape out. <laughs> like, this, this is the Godzilla movie I've probably seen the most. I love it. I love King Caesar, even though he looks ridiculous. I love the aliens from the third planet from the black hole. Maybe it was because I was a literal child, but none of it felt like it lost steam. This one just clicked everywhere for me. So this is one of the ones that my uncle also had on Laserdisc. And I remember him showing it to us and being intrigued by uh, everything going on with the whole mystic and King Caesar. Always thought he was like a giant oversized dog. Um, but it's one that definitely has like sentimental value. That said, you can tell that they were starting to run out of ideas. Like with Ghidra, there's nowhere else to really go except for space. There's no really nowhere else really to go but robot evil version of your protagonist, of your hero. So it seems like for both of you guys, this is a uh, pretty nostalgic film for you. And Katie, you said there's some stuff to you that maybe didn't hold up quite as well I think with your recent viewing but guys did you find even as an adult that it still holds up pretty well or is that I mean how do you feel about it looking at it now I mean sure it's ridiculous but yeah for some reason my nostalgia goggles never quite came all the way off for this one I like the design of Mechagodzilla I like that he looks unique enough also I was one of the few people in the world that played the Godzilla GameCube fighting game Godzilla destroy all monsters melee and Mechagodzilla was my main in that he was the one I always played so I have a soft spot for uh, for Mechag. Yeah, it was hard for me to divorce my like personal biases from watching the film. It doesn't quite hold up. There is a mishmash of a lot of stuff. I feel like you can either go all the way mystic or all the way alien and never the twain shall meet. For some reason, uh, I was also able to uh, everything I just said. Fuck all that. I love this. <laughs> 
I wonder if they could have done, like, to kind of address those issues you had with of all the kind of ideas in there, I wonder if they could have done, I mean, it's cliche, but at least would have maybe tied stuff together a bit better, you know, some sort of comment about science versus superstition or something like that. That might have been an interesting way of kind of melding the two together, but instead we just kind of have science and magic without anything kind of tying them together. Also, Godzilla has, by this point, it's a pretty flooded market in terms of kaiju stuff. There's other kaiju properties, so maybe they also felt they had to be competitive and throw in a bunch of elements to appeal to as many people as possible. Because by this point, Ultraman has been out for a while, Gamera has also been out for a while, so maybe they just felt like robots, ancient magic, somebody's going to like this thing. And somebody's going to like it more than they like Gamera versus Gaios or the latest Ultraman. They are trying to find a way to keep the series going and introduce these new things that I think will keep people interested. I just think I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the films, for the most part, kind of follow a certain formula and kind of by this point, you can really kind of see the formula. And I think maybe the ideas of, you know, a mystical creature and all this stuff and, and you know, obviously Mechagodzilla is really cool and stuff. Those ideas are fine. I think the more of the problem is that they're not, if they really wanted to kind of help keep things fresh, they really just needed to try again, kind of almost the throw their formula out and try something really create a new kind of thing to do and that would have helped keep things fresh more than just introducing yet another or i guess in two in this case kind of kaiju creatures Uh, i wonder if he is a compelling enough villain mechagodzilla on his face like is he a king Ghidorah level thing where he can be like a nemesis uh, I'm, i'm really not sure he might be too similar I don't know, because I think... Because he has all this robotic stuff that I think is one different from the other bad guys we've seen, the big monster ones anyway. He has all the missiles, and he has these laser-type things and stuff like that. He has some stuff that's similar, but I think for the most part, it's pretty different. Yeah, I mean, the basic shape of him is the same, but his kind of weapons and, you know, the ways to defeat him is different. So I think think it works. He works by himself as a villain as well as, I think, any of the other bad guy kaiju do. I do like the aliens themselves, the aliens from the third planet from the black hole, with their like kind of almost like Planet of the Ape-ish design. Yeah, that was kind of a ripoff, uh, I thought, but I do I, like it, but yeah. I thought they were pretty formidable. I like that they were actually like pit against the humans, like there was this smaller battle going on, or like smaller plot of literally like a fight between the two, as well as the, you know, if we zoom out, we can watch Kaiju fight as well but like even the the aliens versus humans plot line was like compelling enough to be interesting to me actually until like re-watching it i totally forgot there were aliens in it this is one of those where the human story was just okay and i really enjoyed the whole monster thing instead then again i'm not a huge alien fan this one, I think, yeah, the human stuff isn't great. It's with this one and a bit of the next film, too, I did get kind of impatient for it. I mean, and I enjoyed the monster stuff, but some of the other stuff I was just kind of hoping would end. Just because, again, it was getting kind of old by this point. But, yeah, it's not for me, it's not the strongest one. Okay, so uh, Terror of Mecha Godzilla uh, was made the uh, very next year in 1975. It was the last film of this era, and it was also the last Godzilla film that Toho made, I think until 1985, when they made Godzilla 1985, which was, I think, a very creative 
not lazy title. But to end this era, they bring back certain things. Mechagodzilla is back along with, I think it's the very same aliens from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And I think even the main alien bad guy is played by the same, he's not supposed to be the same character, but I think it's the same actor. After Mechagodzilla was defeated in uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, the aliens kind of salvage him and start building him up again and trying to make him better and smarter and more able to defeat Godzilla. And in the meantime, there's this other undersea creature who we find out is being controlled by a scientist who is thought dead. And he's played by, I think, the same actor who played the hero scientist in the first film, who's been uh, in sporadically in some of these films here and there. And it's appropriate that he was in the first one and he's in this one. But this play, time he's playing a bad guy who's controlling this undersea creature who uh, starts wreaking havoc on Japan. And the human characters are trying to uncover the mystery of why this creature is attacking. And there's also this love story between the, the scientist's daughter and one of the good guy characters and it's kind of up to them to find a way to stop the sea creature and Mechagodzilla. They're both kind of a match for Godzilla. So for this one, there again, there's some stuff in this I don't want, I don't like. Again, it is kind of running out of steam, the series, but I think as a movie to go out on, it's pretty good. The story with the scientist and his daughter has a lot of pathos. You can understand their motivations for why they're doing what they're doing. They're not necessarily entirely bad, um, and the story is kind of touching in certain regards. Mechagodzilla again is even more of you know formidable than he was in the last film and in the final fight with him the sea creature and Godzilla I was kind of on the edge of my seat of how Godzilla would defeat these two and they also I think this film also brings back for the first time I think since the first film it brings back the main theme of the uh, the, the main theme of the first film I think it brings it back or at least it, it it features it more than the other ones did as kind of the main theme and as kind of a film to go out on it was very i liked hearing that theme again it kind of got my emotions going and got me excited but what did you guys think of this film and of the one to go out on was a good one to go out on or what did you guys think i thought it was it's actually as far as like the human stories go it's actually one of my favorites besides the first film but it has one of my favorite characters i absolutely love katsura i think is her name i think that's how you pronounce it i love that's she's um, a scientist's daughter she's the scientist's daughter yeah Yeah. who turns out to be an android because she was killed but the aliens brought her back and then as like a way of like way of collateral and i'm a sucker for those types of stories and i just really enjoy enjoyed seeing that struggle of her having to like fight control over herself again and i do kind of wish that the sea creature had a little bit of a different design he was just very laughable i think that's my only like that my only big flaw with this also because once again they build him up and then he's there for five seconds and then gets knocked out i think i was reading he's the i think the only godzilla creature of that era that didn't really catch on i think this is the only today this is the only film that creature's ever been in he's never really become popular yeah he isn't the best of them i mean after like mechagodzilla and Ghidorah and stuff he is kind of a letdown for one of the final creatures his special move is he can you know create gusts of wind which mm-hmm. is terribly frightening it's really hard to stand up to Mechagodzilla and Godzilla. And, like, that's tough for any kaiju. And Titanosaur 
Tyrannosaurus, excuse me, I don't think was up to it. I don't think he was unique enough. He's also bipedal, and having three different bipedal monsters, and only three, it doesn't draw your eye. Like, maybe if he was, like, a quadruped, like Anguirus, or a flyer, like Rodan or Mothra, you could get into it more, and he could be unique enough. But in this one, he just felt like, he felt like the Ringo of the movie. Like, why are, why are you here? I think that might be an insult to Ringo Starr, but... I see what you mean, though. Kate, you said that you like the human story of this a lot. I do like it, too. I think it is probably the best human story that they have after the uh, original film. I think it's the one that hits me the most on an emotional level. I mean, there's other ones that, you know, obviously have emotion in them, but they don't affect me a whole lot. But this one, I think, really kind of hit me particularly like the first film did you really kind of feel the emotion of this one and there's a lot of tragedy the kind of tragedy of it and it's i think it might be one of the only films in the series except for the first one that really doesn't have a happy ending for all the good guy characters which i really liked yeah, I, uh, I need to make a confession. Earlier uh, on Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, when I was talking about how compelling I found the human story, uh, I have watched enough Godzilla movies in preparation for this podcast that they have blended together. This is the human story I was talking about. Okay, so... so... <laughs> So, okay, so everyone, he totally forgot about the other one, and he was talking about this one. Yeah, so I was defending a completely forgettable human storyline. This one they is, do this start one is to merge together, I, was together. I will admit. No, they do. I mean, and the confession for me, to prepare for this, I did have to double-check a few of the movies to remember which ones were which, because, yes, they do blend together. I mean, the non-alien invasion ones stand out pretty well, but all the alien invasion ones kind of mesh together, and it is can be very hard to keep track. Like, I get the plots for Astro Man and, yeah. and Destroy All Monsters confusing, or I get them mixed up, so... I yeah, don't I, th- I don't think anyone's going to drag me to the guillotine for getting the human storyline of Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla and the terror of Mechagodzilla mixed up. No, 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 no. I'm having... I'm, I, just, I'm not expecting any acts. I mean, honestly, I watched Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla just the other day, and we just talked about it, and I'm already forgetting what, hap- what the human story was in that one. <laughs> so, yeah, it is very... <laughs> It's not the best one. Let's put it that way. They did a lot yeah. better with this one. <laughs> yeah, no, this one, the storyline is This one has a garrot murder in it. This one's great. I love this one. I don't think they necessarily planned for this one to be the final film and kind of in this era, but it works very well as that. But is there anything you guys would have liked to have seen this being the last one in this kind of continuity? Is there anything else you guys would have liked to have seen in it? I don't really think there's a way to like properly end a series like this. You can't really kill off your main character. You can't really give him a full-on happy ending. This one also kind of just ends. Oh, look, they saved the day. It's like, all right, we saved the day. We're going to go rest again. Call us next Tuesday when there's another monster. Yeah, I think it's nice that he's kind of besting the returned doppel version of himself. I think that's kind of like a nice note to leave Godzilla on. You know, he dismisses, like, he, the other monster flees into the water, and the robo-Godzilla, the anti-Godzilla, is destroyed, literally decapitated. Um, that's a pretty triumphant arc for Godzilla. Not only is he the best kaiju, he's the best version of the best kaiju. So, I mean, I mean at least on a hero level, I feel like it's a satisfying conclusion. 
Yeah, and they give him, in the final battle, they give him a lot of great hero moments where he finally starts beating Mechagodzilla, and then he defeats the undersea creature, and then while he's defeating... Titanosaurus. Yeah, yeah. and then while he's doing the final move on Mechagodzilla, he's also, you know, does some atomic fire and destroys the flying saucers that are flying away at the same time. So the original theme is back and stuff, so it really makes Godzilla really awesome in that final fight. It's probably the best he ever is any of these fights and the most kind of badass and cool he is really mm-hmm. i really this is probably yeah. one of my favorite climactic fights some of the other ones get kind of ridiculous or underwhelming or repetitive or whatever but this one was really cool yeah this one's like a, a total epic showdown from like start to finish and this one unlike the other ones he doesn't have any help i mean he has the humans help him out a bit but he doesn't have another monster so it's all godzilla even again i don't think they planned this as the last one but it ultimately being the last one it was kind of great just to see godzilla essentially for the most part on his own doing it and it's not another character that's another kaiju that's helping him it's just it's all godzilla and it's kind of reminding you of the awesomeness of that character till they release the second like the second giant series because it didn't realize that a lot more of the films i remember watching as a kid are actually in the second group of godzilla films so was that something you would you guys would want to see as a release of i forget how many films are in the next era but would you want to see them release the other series of films that they did in the 80s and onward yeah, I want it. <laughs> you want it? Would you, do you like those film, Gus? Would you I want to see that? It. Yes. One of them is Mecha King Ghidorah. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes. It's his three-headed dragon with robot heads. Yeah, uh, no, 100%. I absolutely would like to see more Godzilla movies, especially with the Criterion treatment, because especially those 80 ones, because they're so ridiculous. Uh, it's so funny because i remember one and it i couldn't remember the name but it was the one with the giant plant i don't even remember the plot but i remember i have images in my head of scenes that i know are from that film but it's been ages since i I haven't rewatched any of those and now i'm like i kind of want to go back by alante the killer rose yes uh, yes I think I remember that plant. I actually had an action figure that was that plant. I feel left out of all these references. I don't know. You just should go and, like, watch some of them. No. Some of the later ones. Well, some put, of the well, 80s ones. No. They're fun. I, they might be fun, but after watching 15, technically 16 of these films in very close proximity, I am going to take a very long break from kaiju films <laughs> and watch, I think, the next <laughs> film. I think I'm just going to plop in or, or stream uh, my dinner with andre on criterion channel because i need something <laughs> that's totally different and i'm not joking either i probably will watch that as kind of a as a kind of a change of pace because i've seen so many f- monsters fight each other over the next past little while <laughs> i am very much done king Ghidorah in my dinner with andre <laughs> my dinner my dinner with king Ghidorah. i don't dinner with king Ghidorah. <laughs> And, and and okay, so I think yeah, you, but you still have like Wallace Shawn voices Godzilla, 
Yeah, and yeah. King Ghidorah is voiced by uh, Andre. I'm getting his last name. Yeah, I think that could, that could work. For my take on that, the next box sets, I would be interested to see them. I don't know if they have any plans to do so. Assuming it'll, it might partially depend on how well this one is going to sell. Though with all the buzz around this box set, I'm sure it's going to sell very well. But yeah, I'd be interested to see it if they do one. And I'm still doing the podcast at that point. We'll cover it. Okay, so that about wraps us up for this podcast. Again, there are there's an article um, on 25yearslatersite.com that I wrote that kind of is many kind of reviews of each of the films that are on the box set. So if you want to at least know my thoughts on the films that we didn't cover, you can go to that. There's also a video on our YouTube channel that is a top 10 list of reasons why you should watch these films. So please check both of those out and subscribe to everything you can subscribe to and for the next one of these podcasts i haven't worked out what the topic of that is going to be if you guys any of you guys listening have uh, anything you would like us to cover that's criterion related again that's either been released on physical media the dvd or blu-rays or is on uh, the criterion channel Um, in terms of topics like road movies horror movies this that or the other thing please let us know in comments to the video the article or this podcast and i will look into possible doing those but uh, for now you can follow me um, on twitter at cinema pack rats you can follow katie at at k bienvenue her last name and gus at gus on horror you can also find 25 years later on facebook and you can also follow it on twitter at 25 yl site and of course you can also visit its website at 25 years later site.com the criterion collectors podcast is made for 25 years later and it was created and is hosted and edited by me but for now um thank you guys for uh, joining me for this one and that's it for now and until next time i will see you guys later Mm